Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Welcome to this week's episode of Courageous Wellness. Today we sit down with leading gynecologist and endometriosis specialist, Dr. Iris Orbuck, and world-renowned pelvic pain specialist and physical therapist, Dr. Amy Stein. Dr. Stein and Dr. Orbuck have long partnered with each other and with other healthcare practitioners to address endometriosis and the disease's host of coexisting conditions, which can include pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, gastrointestinal ailments, painful bladder syndrome, and central nervous system sensitization through a whole mind and a whole body approach. In June, the two doctors released a book titled Beating Endo, How to Reclaim Your Life from Endometriosis, a head-to-toe recovery from the invisible illnesses. On this episode, we discuss their mind-body-whole approach to endometriosis treatment, the struggles they have experienced with their patients, the difficult healthcare and insurance system, and how the condition is still misunderstood and mistreated by the medical community. After you finish this episode, if you haven't already, you can listen to our episode with Laura Parker, who discusses her experience living with endometriosis and chronic pain. Please enjoy the episode. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Okay, good morning, Dr. Urbach and Dr. Stein. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So to get started, we'd love to, um, and you can choose whoever wants to go first, we'd love to hear a little bit about your personal backgrounds um, towards medicine, why why you chose that path for yourself, and then more specifically how it took you into your current work um, dealing with patients suffering from endometriosis. Sure. Amy. Oh, you want me to start? Okay, I'll start. Um, So I was in PT school, um, in grad school, and I had a friend that had a severe, um, she had a hysterectomy and then ended up in severe pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. And it affected her bladder, bowel, sexual function. And uh, she basically wasn't able to work. She was really disabled from the condition. And they ruled out back condition, they ruled out bladder infection, they ru- pretty much ruled out everything and they just didn't know what was going on, her, her physicians at the time. And because I was in PT school and a f- close friend of hers, I was trying to figure out like what was going on, what could it be that no one could figure out. And my professors weren't really sure either. So um, maybe someone said maybe look lower down on the chain and the lumbar spine, which they had ruled out. There was no dysfunction there. And that's how I became interested. I started looking at the pelvic floor and the sacral area and the nerves there. 
and it ended up that she had what what's called pudendal neuralgia. She had an irritation of the nerve um, from the the hysterectomy, mm-hmm. and um, from there she started rehabbing. I wasn't with her at the time, but she went to uh, one of the very few pelvic floor PTs at the time. And then I just started to become really interested in the area uh, when I graduated because I realized what what the need was and that there wasn't a lot of research on pelvic floor and various pelvic floor conditions. And we really were just in the first stages of as pelvic floor physical therapists, learning how to treat pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. So that's where I got started. And then with regard to endometriosis, I had some of my first patients had endometriosis and I was looking at it more from a pelvic floor standpoint uh, because I just didn't, you know, I researched what endometriosis was, which even that has changed over the last two decades. But um, I, just got interested in like, how can I help these patients? And I didn't realize how much I could help the patients until they started getting better from the treatment that I was doing. Um, One of my first patients did, I think she had uh, ablation or excision at the time. I I honestly don't remember, but uh, she improved significantly from the physical therapy as well as her, as well as her surgery and from there I just started to learn I learned from amazing practitioners like Dr. Orbach and we just realized how we needed to really work together as a group and figure out how to help these patients because it wasn't a one it wasn't a one-size-fits-all and it wasn't one treatment is the answer Mm -hmm. so that's how we came to write our book thank you Dr. Robach. <laughs> yeah, I have a little frog in my throat. I'm getting over from a pretty bad cold, so I hope it'll you can hear me <clears throat> clearly. But um, I kind of always felt that medicine was my calling. Um, and then when I was in medical school and then selected to go into OBGYN, I remember the first time I walked into the operating room and saw laparoscopic surgery, it felt like I was home. It felt like I was on the basketball court as a kid and the places that I was comfortable and um, I knew that was going to be my calling. And my first year, I started um, learning a lot about uh, endometriosis, which is very uncommon in a residency program, more from a surgical perspective. And I just fell in love with the surgery, and I saw what a need there was because these were otherwise young, healthy women whose lives and health had been robbed from them. And I just felt that um, combining my hand-eye coordination from sports and my passion to help women and just my love of operating, it just just seemed to be the right fit for me. And I was lucky to be uh, mentored by two amazing um, physicians who were right on the uh, cusp of their retirement when I was their fellow. And it, it just, it just uh, sort of all fell into place. And um, there's such a need. I mean, they're, they're, there's, there's so many women, almost 200 million women worldwide, and there's so few practitioners. There's so few physical therapists. There's so few um, healthcare providers to help these women. It's 10% of women who are suffering. So um, I'm, I'm lucky Amy and I've been working together for years because it really, it's not just the surgery that gets women better. It's not just the PT. It's, it's not just one thing or the other. It's really a combined approach to help women who've been suffering because often there's a delay in diagnosis of 10 years. So within those 10 years, so many other conditions set in. So, you know, it's such a pleasure working with, with Amy who looks at, the body as a whole. And that's really how women with endo need to be viewed rather than just staring at their pelvis. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just um, to go back is for any listeners who just don't know, what is endometriosis? Can you guys explain that as well for our listeners? Sure. So um, endo is a really common condition that affects at least 10% of women and it causes a whole host of pretty common symptoms painful periods. Some women have heavy periods, a lot of intestinal symptoms like constipation, diarrhea, bloating, 
whole host of urological symptoms, whole host of like musculoskeletal symptoms. But scientifically what it is, is when you have cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus, but they're found externally or meaning outside of the uterus. So for instance, they can be in the pelvis and the abdomen. They've really been found in just about every organ in the body. And what happens is just like the lining of your uterus gets thicker and thicker every passing month. And then if you don't get pregnant, you get your period, meaning that lining sheds. Those cells that are outside of the uterus are also stimulated by the hormones coming from your ovaries. And they too sort of get thicker and thicker month after month. And they start to call, cause inflammation, inflammatory responses, scar tissue, and then whatever's surrounding it um, can be uh, malaffected by it. Okay, thank you for that. Um, you know, we actually recently interviewed a woman who has been suffering with endometriosis. She's in her late 20s and has been <coughs> suffering since she was a teenager um, and, again, has gone through... So many doctors, she had a surgery, which made her symptoms worse. And she came on the podcast to talk more about her personal journey with um, the her inability to have any sort of like intercourse. And we, we did an episode on sexual wellness, but how it's affected her life in so many ways. And the pain has really affected her day-to-day life, even though she's sort of how you describe this, like, relatively healthy young woman from the way she looks, but suffers sort of with this silent, these silent symptoms and um, has had such a challenging time. I think now has found a doctor that's really helped, but over the course of this experience for her had to go from physician to physician to physician. And so as female doctors dealing with women who have this, um, who have this condition, how do you find, like, they come to you? Do they come to you where, like, people have never believed them before or just sort of wrote it off? Like, I feel like there's also an emotional component to this condition that a lot of women have to, um, have had to suffer with. And I just am curious what your point of view on that is and how do you approach that with them? Yeah, I would say both of us have experienced where patients have been told it's in their head. Patients have been told to go do more yoga and drink some wine. And actually in our book, Beating Endo, we have a case scenario of a patient that was drinking wine and doing yoga and her symptoms were not improving. And she was addressing uh, the nutritional component. um, But what we find is definitely with the sexual any sexual pain it's you you do have to treat the disease because as dr orbach would say um you can find a um a lot of the cells in that area and that could be contributing to the pain and discomfort Mm -hmm. so treating the disease but also treating the pelvic floor muscles and that is a area that um that a lot of, we're really discovering how much it can be helpful for patients. I've been doing this for 20 years now, and I see the impact that the physical therapy can have. Obviously, also, you need to address any hormonal changes, because if they were on medications for endometriosis, that can can change the tissue of the vaginal area as well. Um, So it's really, again, that full body approach. They could have what I described earlier, my friend that had irritation of the pudendal nerve, which runs right into that area. They could have irritation of that nerve, which that can be addressed through the physical therapy. But again, you really have to look at what what procedure she's had before. And that's where Dr. Orbach can answer that part of the question and her experience with, with what you mentioned. Yeah. To start about being a teen, um, that's kind of one of my goals in in my life is is to have early diagnosis and recognition of endometriosis because we pretty much know that for the most part, women are born with endometriosis and with these cells in the sort of wrong place. And typically we know if a teenager starts to have really painful, debilitating periods, we need to take them seriously. 
And it, it, you know, some of the data shows that 70% of teens with pretty, very debilitating periods actually have endometriosis. And the problem is it's not being recognized by, teen, by um, pediatricians, by family practitioners, then by internists, and most gynecologists aren't recognizing it. And then if they are even recognizing it, what they're doing, putting a patient on, let's say, the birth control pill doesn't treat their endometriosis. It just treats the symptoms. So if they had heavy bleeding, it may help the heavy bleeding if you're lucky. If you have painful periods, it may help your painful periods. But the disease continues to progress. Um, and the, the problem is, is that it's known as an invisible disease because imaging is always normal, meaning an ultrasound is always normal, CT scans normal. And women often describe, or teenagers describe this, like a barbed wire across my abdomen that no one can see. And they often report, my friends don't believe me. They've lost friendships, relationships, spouses, jobs, because they otherwise look normal externally, but they're really suffering inside. And so there is this, we know just statistically, women go on average of seeking eight physicians over a course of 10 years until they're diagnosed. The problem is, okay, so they're finally diagnosed with endometriosis, but then they undergo the wrong care because most women in order to make the diagnosis, you need a surgery, okay? I think in, in my hands and in other specialist hands, based on in a consultation and a physical exam, we can say with a high likelihood whether someone has it, but truly the gold standard is surgery. Surgery, we look for those lesions, we remove the lesions, the, and then they're sent off to pathology, then the pathologist confirms it. So that's what we call the gold standard, how you make the diagnosis. What happens then at the time of surgery, the doc who was um, taught improperly in residency, which is pretty much all gynecologists do the wrong surgery. They burn and ablate or laser or coagulate that endometriosis instead of excising it or removing it, which is the proper treatment. So all of the wrong surgeries just cause more scarring, more inflammation. So now this woman, like your the woman who you had on your podcast, actually feels worse. Right. So they had the wrong surgery. But they probably had years if I think you said what did you say she was in her thirties? She's when, in her I think she's in her late twenties now. Okay, but late, so late it's 20s. been at least so 10, if she was a teenager years. when she was diagnosed, so she's she's gone probably fifteen years or so with this. So we know her pelvic floor is so tight, and that's Amy's specialty because she's probably assuming like a fetal position all the time, squeezing. She probably has constipation, she's straining on the toilet. So that causes the pelvic floor muscles to flare. Mm -hmm. And then if you've had 10 years of pain of anything, you have what we call the flared central nervous system or central sensitization. So that itself needs to be calmed down. And then often women develop uh, bladder issues, not all, but some, some, sometimes it's half of the women, sometimes it's 60%, sometimes it's more develop something called interstitial cystitis. So you need to treat that as well. And then there's all of these other things that start to spiral out of control because of these, this tenure of misdiagnosis roulette, as we call it. So if that woman who suffered, if she came into my office before I would operate on her and do the proper surgery, with the, with, which is excision of endo, I would evaluate her for um, everything. And that's what Amy and I talk about in our book, Beating Endo. It's like a real whole body approach to evaluating these women who are coming in. So I would have sent her right for pelvic floor physical therapy right away. That would have been the first thing I would have done before I even took her to surgery. Um, and I would have, like I said, evaluated her central nervous system and all these other coexisting conditions that go on. And then ultimately, yes, I, she, you know, I would have done excision of endo, which is the surgical treatment. But jumping in and operating on a really flared patient, it, it, they, it's unlikely that you're going to get them better. Yeah. You have to cool yeah. them down first. She, that's, um, it's pretty interesting. You sort of told her story kind of oh, like, really? you, yeah, nail on the head where she had had the surgery and, um, it, and things got worse. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, and, and I would love to talk about your book, you know, that you've mentioned and touched on and how your plan, right, is different because I was reading about how people have had these transformational experiences with 
you know, the plan that you describe. And, but yeah, cause I think like this woman and like so many others that she was describing that she knows through the community that she's built is there becomes such a distrust, right? Because they've done everything they've been told to do. They've seen the specialists, they've, they've had surgery, they've done pelvic floor, they've done everything. And it's, it's like this much better, right? It's, yeah. it's not, it's not much better. Yeah. So then this distrust, right, forms or this like just debilitating hopelessness of, mm. am I just going to have to live with this forever? So if you can, you know, touch on your book and, and, and you've already touched on it, you know, a bit, but how, how, how your plan can be different. Yeah. And I, 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 in one of the earlier chapters, we talk about what really brought from my perspective to start looking at the body as a whole. Um, and essentially it, it was, when I finished my fellowship, we were just operating on women. And that's unfortunately what is happening today as well. And I finished my fellowship, I think, in 2004. I'd have to look at my diploma. I don't remember exactly. But I really, I started to realize there are these recurring patterns and symptoms that women were describing. And at the time, I read one paper. And in the conclusion or discussion, there was one sentence. And it looked at a great surgeon. Dr. David Redwine, who's like one of the founders in the field of excision of endometriosis. And 100% of his patients didn't get better. And there was a, one sentence that said there may be some other reason. I can't remember what the sentence was, but it made me start thinking, what is this other thing? Why aren't these women getting 100% better? And that's what started me. That was right when I started private practice. And that's what started me on this journey, trying to figure out what did this one random sentence in this article, what was it alluding to that no one knew? And that's kind of when um, Amy and I started to join forces probably some years later. We actually still don't even know how we <laughs> combine forces or when exactly, but it was in that search to try and help women. And then after that, I started to recognize there's this whole role of the central nervous system flaring and women using words like burning nerves or shooting pain. And so I'm like, I started learning about the brain and the mind and how pain works and how do we downregulate the brain. And then there was a whole nutrition aspect. And I started learning about anti-inflammatory foods because endo essentially is an inflammatory environment. I mean, is an inflammatory condition. So if you feed in an inflammatory environment, inflammatory foods, it worsens it. So, you know, I think Amy and I just had enough is enough seeing this maltreatment in these women and this women suffering. And it's not an intentional maltreatment by physicians. They're really trying to do their best, but it's not taught properly. And Amy saw more of like a holistic mind, body, meets West approach working for her. I saw it with me. We certainly saw we could get patients better when we collaborated, and then we started collaborating with physical medicine rehab docs and nutritionists, and, and you know, I think we sort of felt that we just needed to write this book for women. Don't, don't you agree, Amy? Like, we needed to get this out there because, like, this woman you're describing who appeared on your podcast, she's one of 200 million women. There's no way Amy and I can see 200 million women, let alone 100 million, let alone 1 million, let alone half a million. So what better way was to get it out in a book? And everyone has different, you know, they say there's less than 100 exogenous in the country. I actually think there's probably less than 50, probably even, I'd, I'd maybe even less than that. So you're talking one per state or two per state. If you're lucky, many states don't have one excisionist. And the same goes for good pelvic floor physical therapy. So we thought, let's get this book in women's hands. Let's hope they're going to start to drive the changes that are needed and help them ultimately get better because they weren't getting it from the physicians. So it's like a really holistic East meets West by mind body approach to help women regain their lives. And they really do. We, we both see it with our own eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So our book, again, is Beating Endo, How to Reclaim Your Life from Endometriosis. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, HarperCollins' website. And it is just that, exactly what Dr. Orbach just explained, that um, 
and it seems like a lot and I'm going to tell the women that are listening that it is a lot in the beginning, but you figure out what you need more. You figure out what works best for you. You figure out who that pelvic floor physical therapist is. And that may take some research as well as finding the right excision surgeon. And you, you just put it, you, you put it all together, but you really do have to look at your diet. Are you gluten intolerant? Are you um, lactose intolerant? Um, You do have to look at the, with the pelvic floor physical therapist, it isn't just the pelvis as Dr. Orbach explained. It is really a head to toe. If you're, um, it could be obviously originating from the abdominal pelvic area, but if your foot's off and that is, and it's bothering your whole system from uh, bottom to, to top and you're exercising regularly and your pelvis is off because of that, that's only going to feed into any abdominal pelvic pain issues that you're having, any bladder issues. So you really have to, so the book also talks about like how's helpful tips for bladder retraining, helpful tips for bowel retraining. It talks about the mindfulness that you should um, be incorporating into your daily routine. And that's different for everyone too. So it's really, you really have to figure out what works best for you. Um, If we tell everyone to do yoga and someone, half the people don't like yoga, then they're not going to commit to it. So you really have to work with the patient to figure out what they're going to commit to. Maybe it is listening to Calm or Headspace or Budify every day, but for someone else, it is doing yoga. For someone else, it is going for a peaceful walk in the woods. And and then the nutrition part, that can be overwhelming as well, but really figuring out what is really irritating trying to change that and then maybe slowly also figuring out the smaller things that irritate um so it is it is really looking at the body as a whole there are also environmental issues that we talk about in the book and and then what we find is that yes in the beginning it's it's a lot and as some women say it can be a bit overwhelming but we really try to tell the patients to to start slowly and keep adding and keep or or subtracting whatever their uh, needs are but once everything's in place and you've had the surgery um, or change medications wherever it may be then you'll find that over time yes you may have to stick to certain a certain diet or certain exercise routine but it's not the the whole you you don't always have to stick to the whole program yes for a good year i would say you have to stick to the whole program but it's it's a lifelong change a good lifelong change um in in certain areas that you feel that help you keep feel to stay well and to feel healthy Mm -hmm. and just to that's such a perfect answer and just to just touch on it what I want to stress to women is by the time they're coming to see Amy or myself, they've had 10 years of symptoms at minimum. Many of my patients have 20 and 30 years of symptoms. We can't fix them in one PT session or one mindfulness session or one surgery. You need almost like an equally, we don't need a 10 years of getting them better, but it's, it's going to take a lot of work at, at the onset. And I always tell patients it's somewhat like a full-time job between managing the nutrition, going to physical therapy, doing mindfulness and meditation. But what what other option is there? It's going to be continued worsening pain or getting your life back. And with persistence, I would say every woman, if they follow this plan, they get their life back. And and, and if you look at an orthopedic um, illness, like let's say someone has a knee injury and they play sports on it for 10 years and they're banging on and banging on and they need to have a knee replacement. You think they walk out of surgery and they're fine? No way. Right away, what do they do? They are first thing, they're sent to, pal- to physical therapy. And they're in physical therapy. They're in rehab. They're retraining their whole selves. Anyone who even has a knee surgery or shoulder or a- anything, they say it's six months or so until they can get themselves to start to feel better. So I think the expectations need to be um, addressed. Um, and 
so they can understand I can't fix you in one day or one week, but I can certainly lay out a plan and you will certainly get better. Um, so I think that expectations are really important so the patients understand that. But they really, they regain control of their lives and they live their lives again. And to see that is just, it's so satisfying. Yeah, I'm sure that's, and you know, it's exciting to hear you both speak about that um, because I think, and, and pr approaching this from a holistic, in the sense of like the body as a whole kind of holistic um, approach and, and East meets West, you know, I think oftentimes culturally we just want to like give a pill or slap a Band-Aid on something, right? Like we're a culture that treats the symptoms and not the core of a lot of our issues. And as someone who's had multiple surgeries in my life and... Um, you know, medical things, and it went through some cancer stuff at a young age. I I have the utmost respect for like Western medicine and when you need to do it and like when it does the job. But to also know that there's other elements like diet, nutrition, mindfulness, that like it all works together and that that can create a long-term solution to, like you said, a lifestyle, um, which is not going to be an easy overnight thing, but it is something that ultimately can be sustainable and also affect, it's like all connected, right? You know, we think of like, as you've said, it's not just about treating the pelvis, it's about treating the whole body because it all works together. And I think we've sort of grown up in this culture where it's like, you go, if you have like a backache, you go to the back doctor. And if you have like gynecological stuff, you go to the, you know, the OBGYN, or if you have this, you know, head stuff, you go to the neurologist. And it's like this compartmentalization. But to know that everything that we deal with in our bodies is, you know, our bodies are one and they're all connected. And I love hearing medical professionals talk about that because I think it's a really exciting, I mean, I'm not a medical professional at all. I've just been a lot around hospitals and doctors. And I, I think it's a really exciting place to where um, medicine is starting to go in this country. Um, and there's some amazing functional medicine doctors and like, you know, we're sort of on the forefront of that becoming more mainstream. Mm -hmm. But I think that's an exciting element that's emerging. Um, yeah. Yeah. You hit it on the nail because unfortunately, um, you hit the hammer on the nail, right? Because unfortunately, medical school, they're teaching compartments, everything, pelvis, head, you go to this doctor, that, and, but everything's interconnected. And, and that's why so many women with endometriosis present with constipation, bloating, diarrhea. So where do they go? They go to the GI. Do you think any GIs are taught that you need to look for endometriosis? No, no, not at all. So it's, it's such a shame because then there's that much more of a delay. And um, I, I think the role of integrative medicine doctors, holistic, uh, I'm sorry, functional MDs, and <clears throat> it is so important these days because you can go to an internist who's just going to listen to your heart, lungs, push on your belly, send off the basic labs. It's going to come back all normal. And these women with endo and maybe an ultrasound, they're told there's nothing wrong with you. Everything's normal. And imagine seeing eight doctors who tell you that it's, it's just, it's so horrible because then they start doubting themselves. Maybe there, maybe there's something wrong with me. Why isn't anyone figuring this out? Everyone's telling me everything's normal. So it's, I think it's overwhelming for women when we try and put together the whole mind and the body. They're like, no, 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 but my problem's in my pelvis. But once they're committed to doing our plan and beating endo, how to reclaim your life from endometriosis, then they start to recognize how the whole body is affecting all of their pain. We have to get them to sort of understand to then be willing to start the program. And then they, they all, I don't know one person who's followed everything to the T who didn't have the results. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So how do you recommend people who are searching for the right doctor or the right surgeon? Where do they start? Or maybe what are some good questions that people ask if they're getting that same, you're fine, or this yeah. is where you need to go, you know? So that's a great question. So um, there's a couple, well, first of all, in the, in the uh, compendium or appendix of our book, Beating Endo, 
we list a bunch of resources and a bunch of websites and a bunch of places. So definitely utilize that. We spend a lot of time putting together really crucial uh, organizations that can help women. So one of the big places we often recommend is Nancy's Nook on, on Facebook. Um, it's a Facebook group run by Nancy Peterson. She was the nurse. She's um, has to be like in, I imagine her seventies or eighties. She was the nurse of that Dr. David Redwine, who I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast. She herself suffered from endometriosis and she uses it as a platform to spread education. And you have to apply to get in. I, I would imagine there's probably 70 or 80,000 members at this point, maybe even more. And it's an online educational resource, self-directed for women. And that's pretty much the only place you can go to get accurate information. There's also Endo Warriors. Um, and uh, those are like the two big places to get good information, obviously, aside from our book. Um, and then on Nancy's Nook, there's... Um, <laughs> Nook providers, excision doctors, and you can search across the world to find excision surgeons. You really have to do your own research on once you take that list, but at least that's a great starting point. Um, and that's my recommendation. And when in general, you don't want to be with a general OBGYN because a general OBGYN is delivering babies. They're dealing with... Um, uh, menopausal health, they're dealing with breast lumps, they're dealing with vaginal infections. So do you really want someone who was up all night delivering a baby then operating on you? Probably not. So you really want to find a specialist who does excision of endometriosis. But the key questions to ask your doc when you see them is what I like to do a nice question. So I tell patients to ask, what percentage of your practice is delivering babies? Because then you're going to get the true answer. Don't say, what percentage of your practice is endo? So if they say, oh, 80% is, is obstetrics, well, right, you have your answer right there. And then even if they say 50%, geez, you know, and then what percentage of your practice is surgery? Of that, what percentage is endo? And then what methods do you use for endometriosis? And if they say, ablation, cauter, well, you, you know the answer long before. You really have to do a lot of research. You have to know your disease, and I know that sounds crazy, but um, knowing your disease, you can learn about your disease from, from our book. I'm not trying to push our book. I just think we have put together everything in one resource because there is no good information out there about endometriosis, and that's because big pharma has dominated the market. Medicines don't fix endometriosis. If you go Google endometriosis, some of the top hits are big pharma push with medicines. None of those medicines are treating endometriosis. At best, they're treating symptoms, but providing a whole host of side effects and really bad side effects. I wouldn't give any of those medicines to my daughter. I'd give my own daughter maybe birth control to treat you know, painful periods or cramps, but that's about it with the understanding that that's not treating the disease. That's just helping her get to school. Yeah. Okay. While we're treating the whole body and creating a plan and getting her better. And I treat my patients like I treat my daughter or my sister. So you have to be very careful what you read online. There's so much misinformation and typically you're not going to find the right information in, um, in uh, like a, a Vogue magazine or L or in a, in, in, in a magazine that's, uh, and you have to be very careful. There's so many journal publications that are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. You have to really know who is writing these articles yeah. to understand, can you believe it? And can you trust the information? Because I'll tell you, I get so much, I come from a family of docs. My sister's a doc, my dad's a doc, we're all physicians, and they all email me articles about endometriosis. And I, I know the authors, so I know who's, who gets money from Big Pharma. Yeah. So you, you have to really understand what the conclusion of an article is. I know it before I even read it. Obviously, I read it all, and then I look at who they're referring to. So you have to do your homework. Nancy's Nook is going to do the homework for you, and so is our book, Beating Endo. So it's 
like a shortcut. It's like the cliff notes to endometriosis. We all read cliff notes in high school. I did. I had so many of those yellow and black. Uh, you're much younger than me. I don't know if you had those. No, I had cliff notes. <laughs> okay. So our book is the cliff notes to get the answers for endometriosis to, to get yourself better. Yeah, you really, like you're saying, you have to be your own advocate. Like yeah. you yeah. have to be your own advocate in everything in this world, but I think especially with your health more than yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think once you find also the the practitioner, and it may only be one that you find, whether it's a scissor and surgeon, the pelvic floor physical therapist that you really trust, usually they know other people that they trust for nutrition or for like for me, this excision surgeons, um, the mental health therapists that, that help. See, some mental health therapists even say that they can't help our patients uh, or they, they plateau or something like that. So we know also which mental health therapists, what as physical therapists also, we, we could say, okay, yoga is not great for you right now. Um, let's try just walking for a while and then go back to yoga. So um, I also wanted to mention that uh, uh, in 2003, 2002, I joined the International Pelvic Pain Society. And that is a great organization that really is, is looking at the whole body more or less practitioners physical therapists physicians uh some nutritionists mental health therapists that are really looking at the body as a whole to try to help patients with there are other conditions that we discuss but a lot of them are overlapping with endometriosis so we talk about painful bladder syndrome ear bowel syndrome. Um, we have a lectures and the lectures are the meetings that we do have are for practitioners, but we also have a find a provider. So there are a couple organizations that have a find a provider for uh, the International Pelvic Pain Society. It's pelvicpain.org for physical therapists. It's American Physical Therapy Association. It's actually just changed. It's now the Academy of, of pelvic floor physical therapy and um, some of the bladder interstitial cystitis has uh, find a provider. But even when you find the provider in your area, you still have to do your homework. Yes. So Dr. Orbach gave a great representation of uh, how to find a excision surgeon. As a physical therapist, some questions that we ask as well are, um, one, the biggest question is how, how many patients do you treat uh, for pelvic health? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you say, uh, some people, you could even ask female to male ratio, but we do find that most pelvic floor physical therapists in general see more female because they do have more pelvic floor conditions. They tend to have more uh, pelvic floor conditions than males. But it, then even from that, how many patients do you see that have endometriosis? <clears throat> and then also very important is do you, what exactly is the treatment protocol? Because you don't want a physical therapist that's just doing external work. You want a physical th pelvic floor physical therapist that also can treat internally. A lot of patients get nervous about when we say we are, are going to treat internally, but as an experienced pelvic floor physical therapist, you can start externally and then if needed, which most of the time it's needed, and most women say, I just want to get better, they, they are okay with doing the internal work. And then also vaginally and rectally, because the, if they do have endometriosis or another condition, it usually affects more than, more than one muscle, mm -hmm. and it usually affects more, more than one organ. So really looking at the body as a whole. So those are just a couple of a couple of them, but uh, hopefully those will be helpful for our listeners. Yes, thank you. And just this, I know, could be an entire another episode. So right. just to touch on a little bit, you know, we've come across a, a couple conversations recently where people are talking about the importance of the pelvic floor, which mm -hmm. I think is, um, you know, not really spoken about too much uh, in our just generally culturally. So can you also talk about, um, just touch on a little bit 
the importance, like, it's not just women who've had children that need to, like, recondition their pelvic floors. And are there any little exercises? I know, like, everybody knows about kegels, but, like, things that we should be conscious of if it's the way that we hold our bodies or sit to to um, create and maintain well, strength within the pelvic floor. I know yoga can be really effective for that. But do you have any suggestions? Because I, I think people think it's, like, something that only – women who've had children need to worry about. But I have actually a friend who is um, a family friend who is a PT and also uh, her specialty is the pelvic floor. And when she was telling me even a few years ago that like men, women, even it's, it's more than just like later in life stuff, but people, all people can suffer from things if they don't have um, strong pelvic floor muscles. So is there something you could just touch on about that for anybody who's interested in that? Sure. Um, and as Dr. Orbach mentioned earlier, ideally for patients with endometriosis, getting them earlier, seeing them earlier is essential. Uh, we actually see children, um, but we would, we want to start seeing more teenagers that are suffering from these painful periods because what happens is that they end up forming habits. So as physical therapists, we address bladder, bowel retraining if that's an issue. So if they're constipated, we got to talk to them and work on that with them. If they're going to the bathroom every 30 minutes, and they, I've been doing that all my life, well, every going to the bathroom every 30 minutes is actually not typical. You want to retrain those habits that they've started forming at an earlier age is more ideal. And then also if they are having painful periods or, or any type of abdominal pain because of endometriosis or any other condition, it starts to affect the muscles and the nerves around that area. So really addressing that early on as well so that the, that, so that the, the, brain, the mind, body um, can, can heal itself quicker so that the, the, the mind part doesn't start to develop. There's a, that's a whole separate topic, the pain, yeah. <laughs> pain science and the central sensitization that can happen if they've had prolonged chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So again, really addressing it earlier on, trying to teach the patient good uh, habits, postural habits, as well as the bladder bowel habits. And then also one thing that you just mentioned about the strong pelvic floor, most patients have a strong pelvic floor and most patients don't have to do Kegels. And what we find with the Kegels actually with any pain condition, any overactive condition, Kegels actually can make their symptoms worse. So, um, I've had patients that have had leaking, but they have these overactive conditions or these tight muscles, and that's gotten better without doing Kegels because I always describe it to patients as if they have um, like a kink in their neck or their back. If you have pain in your neck or your back, would you do more strengthening? Would you do uh, deadlifts if you have back pain? No, you wouldn't because you need to relax that area and you need to rest it. You need to work on the muscles and tissues to lengthen it, calm down the nerves if the nerves are irritated. And then later on, if you need to do uh, specific Kegel exercises, which most of the patients we find don't need to, especially the patients with pain and, endo or, and or endometriosis. Right. Um, but on the other end, making sure that your whole body, your core, your trunk is stable and is balanced is also important. So it is a whole other episode that we could go into. You on can talk about that. <laughs> but long story, long story long is that finding the right pelvic floor physical therapist is key because they can really look to see what imbalances you have. They can look at your posture to see what, um, what needs to be changed. That also, you can't just change your posture yeah. after if you've had a same the same posturing for. 20, 30 years. So that's another thing that you have to be mindful of, that we make small changes in certain areas yeah. and um, expecting a patient to just completely change how they sit or how they walk is, is, is also un unrealistic. So, um, 
I also have a... I also have a quick question too. Um, Does insurance cover most of these things? Like, you know, because I'm sure, right, endometriosis and the treatment is growing, but I know insurance can sometimes lag. I think especially in women's health, that's just a thought I have. But um, yeah, so I'm just curious if I'm sure some people, but overall, does insurance cover a lot of these endometriosis treatments? So I'm so happy you're bringing up this question. So insurance does cover, it's a recognized treatment. Like if you have um, like headaches or it's, it's a diagnosis that is accepted. And then the surgery to treat it as an accepted, what we call CPT code. However, the problem lies in the, the, the reimbursement to physicians. So you have to understand sometimes my surgeries can be two hours, but sometimes it could be eight hours in the operating room and insurance often will reimburse $600 to the doctor. Okay. In New York, cause I have uh, practices on both coasts. Mm-hmm. Just take a guess at what malpractice insurance costs. Because I, I, you have to understand the cost and why doctors are out of network. So insurance recognizes it, but they don't <clears throat> reimburse properly. So that's why doctors have to go out of network. So just take a guess at what an OBGYN malpractice insurance costs in New York. New York. Like, uh, on, a mo- on a monthly basis? <laughs> no, a yearly, yearly, yearly? basis. Two hundred and fifty thousand oh, dollars for an OBGYN. We were OBGYN. just saying hundred thousand dollars, so it's two hundred and fifty. Okay. So in some places outside of New York, I think Queens or Brooklyn is a higher um, malpractice. It, it just depends. Yeah. So that means the doctor has to gross half a million dollars just to pay malpractice for being a doctor. Period. So if you as a physician are being reimbursed six hundred dollars. That means you're taking home half of that. I can't even pay my staff while I'm in the operating room. I can't even pay my rent. I can't even pay, you can't, pay, you can't be an excision surgeon. You can't spend eight hours in the operating room. You can't even spend two hours in the operating room. Right. <clears throat> so what has happened is most doctors will not do the surgery. They, they're never going to get trained because it's a very, I had to do a fellowship I've been devoting my whole career to doing this. You have to be very committed to doing it. So initially for my first many years, the reimbursement, um, I was losing, but I was so committed to it that eventually I couldn't accept $600 from the insurance company because I couldn't even meet overhead, if that makes sense. So I was forced to drop out of many insurances and in time, then become out of network, meaning where insurances recognize it. Yes, it is a recognizable code. However, the insurance not reimbursed properly because they don't understand how difficult the surgery is. And there is no separate procedural code for excision of endometriosis. The same code for ablation of endometriosis is what I need to use for my excision surgery. So an ablation doctor may go and do eight surgeries in one day. So they're getting eight times 600, okay? Whatever that number is. I'm not good in math. But me, I'll do one surgery done right. That's my motto. You can't sustain yourself and you you can't even run a practice doing that. So there's a lot of push right now coming from different organizations to have the American College of OBGYN recognize that excision of endo needs its own CPT code. So I'm the head of the endometriosis special interest group at the international organization AEGL. And that's one of the things that we're trying to push. And it, we've been at it for a long time to try and get a separate CPT code to then have proper reimbursement. But no one is budging, honestly, but we're not giving up. So we are hoping that the, you know, women often say, oh, you don't take insurance. You're a doctor for rich people. It's not that. It's that I can't even pay my malpractice if I accept what insurance reimburses me. So I can't be a doctor. 
Right. Well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I, I think we can often see how the insurance and the system doesn't serve the patient, but I think it's important to know that it doesn't always serve the doctor either. And we need to change, like work towards changing the system so that it can serve everybody because it's doing a disservice to the patient ultimately to not, to not reimburse you for the proper type of, um, surgery that you're performing. Right. Right. And right. I think it is, it's a, it's a longer conversation in another episode, yeah. right? About yeah. women's health, because when we've talked to, um, you know, other, other people in the medical field about endometriosis or other women, it was, you know, mentioned if this was, you know, ED, I'm sure everything would be covered, right? Like yeah. it's a different conversation, but I do think there is this lack of just drink that glass of wine, just go to yoga that prevents proper compensation, proper insurance coverage, proper everything to women's health issues. So again, that's a different conversation, but I think it's great that you touched on that too, because like you said, it's not like you're just a doctor for rich women or rich people. It's just, it sucks for everyone involved and you're trying and you're fighting to make it better. So that's that's the mission of the book. And that's yeah. part of my, and my dream, I'll tell you, my dream before I retire is, is threefold. One, early diagnosis, so teams are picked up. So early awareness and diagnosis and proper information. Two, some diagnostic tests, but okay, so if we have a diagnostic test, so then are we going to have more women having wrong surgery? I then want, want more well-trained doctors, and then I want it covered. I would love to not have any insurance discussion at all with any patients because I want everyone to get the care, but it has to come from the insurance companies. And that's, we're hoping this book is going to start the education of women. There's great resources. One other resource I forgot to mention when you ask where should women turn endowhat.com and endowhat.org. That's a one hour documentary, which is amazing by Shannon Cohn. C-O-H-N. And I recommend every woman to watch it. <clears throat> and that's going to pr- provide tons of education. They, um, endowhat.com, uh, that group of women spearheaded by Shannon Cohn and a whole group of other women went and tried to march on Washington. They literally did. I think it was about a year and a half ago or two years ago. They are trying to force Washington and insurance companies to change what is happening with endometriosis. We're hoping now the book is going to be part of this larger picture, which I know it is already, which is going to raise awareness, which is going to have more women start fighting and say, enough is enough. This is not okay. And I really truly believe it's going to come from women to change that there's one code for ablation and there isn't a code for excision. So we, we, I dream of a day where women go to the doctor, they're diagnosed, they're treated holistically, they have given good excision surgeon, and the treatment of endo is a bump in the road rather than a, you know, what it is today. That, that, is, that is my dream. Well, yeah. as we and, wrap- and just to touch on the physical therapy, it's similar with physical therapy that um, we do accept some insurances, um, at, but out of network. And some pay okay, but then others pay like $15 a visit. And we can't, I can't run a practice in New York City or any other city or town on $15 a visit. So we have to, ideally, again, I, I kudos to the, what Dr. Orbach said. I agree. If we could just not have to worry about insurance, it would be amazing. Yeah, I, I, I get the insurance because my kids both have issues. Not one of our doctors takes insurance, but we still spend $30,000 a year on insurance and we each have a $5,000 deductible. Nothing's covered. I totally sympathize because I live it. I get authorization codes for my insurance. They say they're going to reimburse and then nothing is reimbursed. I feel their pain and it's horrible. It's, it's insurance companies are the problem. And we, we're working so hard, I know, on my end to try and undo all of that. <clears throat> That's amazing. 
Yeah. So, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Before we wrap up, we have a couple questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is, do you as medical professionals, you know, you have busy schedules in New York City and other places as well. Um, do you have any little tips that you'd like to share for your own self-care practices, how you keep yourself doing it all every day? <laughs> I love to that because I, I think self-care is so important um, as someone who works herself to the bone. Um, I do headspace. I ocean swim and swim in a pool. Um, I do yoga, the gentle kind, linking breath to movement. And I, I think it is so important to do that. I eat right. I eat organic. Um, and I, I'm trying to be present all the time, despite, you know, being so busy. But I think, I think that that is the key to me. Being able to care for my patients is self-care. And I agree. I also like to ski and snowboard, but that's obviously seasonal. And I myself just recently had to go through a full dietary change, which I'm still getting used to. And I had to really start with small changes that were really aggravating my GI system. And then I had to slowly make other changes and find different foods to, to enjoy. So um, but I do agree with Dr. Orbach in that whole, you've really got to take care of yourself and do these other other practices for your own self too. So, No, well, thank you guys so much. And then the last question that we ask all of our guests is, is there a book? And I know you guys have a book, but it doesn't have to be a medical book. It doesn't even have to be on endometriosis, but just a book that has been inspirational to you along your journey to get to where you are today? Well, for, for me, for Amy, it, it's probably my other book. <laughs> um, Heal Pelvic Pain has been, uh, it's my first, first book that I wrote 10 years ago and that it's really helpful for, Beating Endo is, is amazing. Um, the other book is complementary basically to beating endo because it adds more um, self-care from a physical therapy point of view. It just adds more things that they could do at home. Whereas our book, if we wanted it to be 600 pages, we could have added a lot, lot more, but um, we were, we were given that we can only write about 200, which I, we understand. So I would say that that would be my my inspirational book. Gosh, you know, I I think my whole life's journey has been an inspiration. I love to read, so there's so many books from even just fiction and kind of something. It has created me to be an outside the box thinker. Um, so I think my whole life has created me to be an outside the box thinker. I can't. I can't think of one thing, but whether it's, it's, it's just everything I do is outside the box and it's driven by my entire life and whether it's art or science or, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer, no, but it's great. It's, I know it's, it's a hard question for a lot of people. Great question. Um, and if anybody wants to purchase your book or find you or find the book on the internet, where, where can they find you both and follow you and, and just, you know, find beating endo. Um, you can find me. I have practices on both coasts, but uh, my um, office number is 310-850-0051. And my Instagram handle is Dr. Iris Orbuck, D-R-I-R-I-S-O-R-B-U-C-H. And my um, website is L-A-G-Y-N-D-R, L-A-G-Y-N doctor. And the book can be found on Amazon. You can, when you go on my website, L-A-G-Y-N-D-R, it pops up right away. Um, so I think I'm pretty easy to be found. And then I'm in New York City, Beyond Basic Physical Therapy, and we have uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Beyond Basic PT. And um, both books, again, can be, my other book, Heal Pelvic Pain, can be found on 
um, Amazon as well as uh, both can be found on Barnes and Noble. So um, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, both of you for joining us today. We both learned a lot and I think this is going to be really um, educational for our listeners. Thank you for having us on. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you for having us. Good morning, LA, right? (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.